Thank you for downloading the podcast. We pray the Word of God will richly bless you today. So let's get right into the Word, knowing that God will speak into our lives today. I was kind of turning over in my spirit. I mentioned it a about six weeks ago, I used this scripture, so I'm going to use it again because I kind of, you know, that's why you ought to meditate on the Word of God. Because God, uh, you, you can have a scripture that you've known for years, and just through meditation, all of a sudden, you see it in another light. It says in verse 21 of Psalms 37, it says, The wicked borroweth and payeth not again, but the righteous showeth mercy and giveth. For such as be blessed of him shall inherit the earth, and they that be cursed of him shall be cut off. Now notice that. Two kinds of people in the earth. Now notice this. Blessed of him and they that be cursed. Everybody say, blessed of him and they that be cursed. Say it again. Blessed of him and they that be cursed. Now listen to it in the Amplified. I, I like this in the Amplified because it's what I was meditating on, and it kind of brings it to light. It says, the wicked borrow and pay not again, for they may not be, for they may not be able. Amen. You know that happens a lot. People go out and make a debt. You know they go out and borrow money. That's why they ought to use wisdom with your money. I said you ought to use wisdom with your money. But they go out and they borrow. Then they're unable to pay the debt that they've made. Well, many times that's just a sign of wickedness. I said, you know, vehicles, everybody likes to drive a nice car. Did you know you can drive any car you want to for 30 days? <laughs> Amen. You want to go out and get a, what, a Rolls Royce or a, or a what is it, a, a Bentley or something like that? You can drive it for 30 days. It's after that, when the rubber meets the road, the bill comes due. Amen. But then it says this about the righteous. Everybody say the righteous. Say I am the righteous. It says, but the uncompromisingly righteous deal kindly and give for they are able. Everybody say, I'm able. Now listen, years ago, uh, when I first came into this walk of faith, I was not near as able as I am now to give. Now let me say that again. I was not near as able, but I was able. I was just a Bible school student. I did a few odd jobs. I think I trimmed my dad's trees at his office a couple of times. I helped somebody do some fence work. Uh, uh, you know, then that never paid much money. I, I'd go out and do full gospel business, businessmen meetings. They usually gave you a check for either 50. If it was a real big chapter, you know, five or 600 people, you'd get a check for $100. Most of the churches that I preached, I remember did a revival over in Horton, Texas. Preached, I mean, just preached up a storm for five days, got a $200 check. Well, you know, that's not a lot of money for that much labor. But what I did is with what I was able to do, I did it. I didn't just wait So, well, Lord, when I'm rich and, and have lots of money, then that, I'll really be a giver then. Listen, you better start where you're at or you'll never do it when you get it. Amen. So here's the thing. Giving empowers you to be more able to give. Giving empowers you. I'm so thankful I have money to give now. I was thinking about giving some, somebody something the other day. I was thinking about it, and I thought, man, I don't know. The Lord has been dealing with me about, about doing this, about buying a particular thing, giving it to somebody. I'm just keep thinking, well, Lord, I don't know if I want to do that. It's, I, you know, it's about a $1,000 item, and I, I'm like, I don't, I don't know if I want And the Lord said, are you able to do it? I said, well, sure, I can go down and do it right now. It wouldn't affect my finances. Wouldn't affect my any, it wouldn't affect anything about my life. He says, well, why are you able to do that? And I said, well, you made me able. And the Lord said, you're right. So when I impress upon you to do something, you obey me, and I'll make you even more able in the days ahead. So start where you're at. Learn to tithe. Learn to offer. Learn to be a giver. Learn to have a giving heart. And you won't end up in, the, in, this, in this, what I call this, uh, they that be cursed group. You'll be in that blessed of him group. How many want to be blessed of him? Isn't that good? Praise God. Well, let's lift up our offerings and make a confession. Let me get all, look at all these checks that came in the mail. Look at that. Isn't that something? That all came in the mail the last, well, I guess we didn't get mail till today. Got mail today and it's full of checks. Isn't that good? Here we go. Ready? One, two, three. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the seeds you've placed in my hand. Willingly and obediently, I sow it into the kingdom of God, thanking you, Lord, that it comes back to me. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over. I claim every dime that I may need to meet my needs, and I claim increase, 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 and abundance above that. 
Devil, in the name of Jesus, get your hands off of my finances. Heavenly Father, I thank you. According to your word, angels are released on my behalf, bringing back to me that which my faith appropriates in Jesus' name. All my bills are paid. All my debts retired. We claim every dime we need to preach the gospel here on the island and around the world. Thank you, Lord, for our building. Now let's glorify God for just a moment. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Gentlemen, you can receive the offering. Praise God. And let me just say this. Our land is not for sale. No matter what the newspaper says or anything. You know, I, always, I like what Brother Hagin said about newspapers. Anybody remember that? Today's news is in the, is in the bottom of tomorrow's birdcage. Meditate on that one a while, amen. Praise the Lord. Go to the book of 1 Corinthians this evening. Years ago in our field ministry, the Lord spoke something to me. And I've done my best to obey it and continue to obey it. In ministry, God will give you certain mandates that will kind of, oh, I don't know how to put it, but it'll kind of, uh, it'll kind of, clarify the calling of God upon your life and help you to understand exactly what God's calling you to do. Whether you walk in an in a apostolic office, prophetic office, whether you're an evangelist, pastor, teacher, uh, every, every minister will, will, will develop uh, certain tendencies to, to, to preach in a certain uh, particular way. I know uh, I followed Brother Hagin for many years and, and he'd get off teaching on something and he'd always end up back over on the subject of faith. It just always, you know, he'd start out over here teaching on something, prayer, something, and then he'd get back, he'd just get right back. He was always, always get back on faith, always get back on faith, always get back on faith. And, you know, other men, men like that, Brother Oral Roberts, he'd always, he'd start out somewhere, he'd get back over on seed time and harvest. I mean, it's just something that, 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 that just kind of consumed him. Well, in my life, the Lord spoke, and this was many years ago, in field ministry, the Lord was beginning to bless our ministry, we were beginning to see some results, and in prayer one day, the Lord said, now you... As you learn to receive, you teach others to receive. Amen? I think every minister ought to do that. I wouldn't sit under a ministry that didn't teach you how to receive from God. Because not only should the pastoral ministry help you with your character and, and teach on different uh, subjects to inform you of the, uh, of, the, of the goodness of the Word of God, uh, you should sit under a ministry uh, that, that, that not only that ministry receives from God, but it teaches you also how to receive. Now, there's a lot of hindrances. I know many times we always teach on the, on the part that is you know, good and righteous. Uh, faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. We teach on uh, confessing the Word, how you need to speak the Word and speak to your mountain, speak to your giant. You know how you have to uh, need to make petitions, specific requests of God, how you need to act upon your faith, you know, uh, be a person of faith by acting upon your faith, living it out, uh, that it should be a lifestyle that you enjoy, not just something that you do every time you're in a crisis. So we've We've emphasized that and taught on that for years. But it's very unpopular today to get over on the negative side and teach on the negative things that hinder people from receiving. But if you don't do that, then people will not receive because they just don't know those things may or may not be in their life. Because there is a righteous lifestyle the believer needs to live in order to receive from God. And one of the biggest hindrances to receiving from God is many people just don't live a righteous lifestyle. They're, they're, they've been born again. They're saved. They even may come and attend services at church. But in their own life, there's things that they've just not made adjustment. And when I say made adjustment, uh, made adjustment to, I mean you have not adjusted your flesh and your mind to what has happened in your spirit. Now, what happened in your spirit when you got born again was marvelous, fantastic, miraculous, supernatural. You went from a spirit literally infused with death to a spirit saturated by the life of God. Saturated by the life of God. You went from the darkness of the fallen human family to the light, the glorious light of being in God's family. Amen? Amen? But now, because of a life of sin, the sin life that we all lived at one time, because of that, certain things in our flesh and our minds were trained in unrighteousness. 
And because they were trained in unrighteousness, there must be application of the Word of God to those things in order to take that hindering area out of our lives so that God can more freely bless us. So, well, God can just bless anybody at any time that He wants to. That's not true. There are people that they are their own biggest problem. Amen. And I know people say, well, you know, I don't want to hear any of that old legalism stuff about you can't do this, you can't do that, you can't do Well, let me just say something to you. There are things you can't do. I mean, if you want to receive from God, you can't do it. You can't live that way. You can't be that way. Amen. You say, well, I, I can't help myself. I, I, I'm just, that's just the way I am. That's not true. That's not the way you are. The way you are is righteous. You are a righteous being now. You're not an unrighteous being. There's no unrighteousness in the makeup of your spirit, man. And because of that, you've got to learn to live after that righteousness that's on the inside of you. You have to do it. If you don't do it, then sin will destroy you. You say, well, will God judge me? No, judgment is not on the earth right now. Jesus took our judgment for sin. We're going to see that in a few minutes. But there is a wage to sin. I, 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 uh, a movie I watched a long time ago, uh, two guys were, one guy was a detective that chased bank robbers, and the other guy was a bank robber. And so they ended up in a conversation at a diner. And the, 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 the detective says, well, you know, I'm going to chase you, and I'm going to hunt you down, and, and, you know, if it just so happens that, you know, there's a confrontation, and I have to, I'm going to have to take you out. And the bank robber said, me too. And he said, uh, well, you couldn't have chosen any other life? And the guy said, well, what do you mean, barbecues and ball games? Then he looked at the officer and said, could you have chosen any other life? He said, no. So this guy was a, a, a professional bank robber. He'd been a robber ever since he was a little kid, grew up in the prisons, was still a bank. And what was the, the end of the story was he was killed. Amen. Well, maybe you're a bank robber. He said, well, pastor, I'm telling you, man, uh, I, I don't know anything else but robbing banks. And, and, but I'm, listen, I, I tithe off every bank I rob. <laughs> and I even give to missions off to all the banks I rob. You know, and I pray over every robbery that nobody will get hurt. Come on. I mean, it may sound a little abstract, but you got to listen to what I'm saying. I pray over every robbery that nobody will get hurt. The police won't come. They won't find me. You know, no, 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 no. You continue in that lifestyle of that sin, a wage will be paid. You'll get a paycheck for it. Now, I remember in the 80s when, when the, the horrible uh, uh, epidemic of AIDS hit the homosexual community. And that's who it hit, primarily. I know there were intravenous drug users and others that got it in different ways, but primarily it was the homosexual community. And a lot of preachers got in the pulpit and began to proclaim the judgment of God. That's the judgment of God. God is judging the... That's not true. That's not the judgment of God. God is not judging the homosexual community. You say, then why has, why has AIDS ravaged that community? It is the wage of the sin. It's the paycheck you receive. But then we as believers many times think, well, you know, I'm not doing anything that, that bad any longer. But we still, we gossip, we lie, we do all these little things. Well, they have the same effect. It's not like there's a great big one that, oh, that affects you more. And then there's a little bit, eh, God really over it. No, no, all of them will have an effect on your life. And you've got to make a decision in life. I'm not going to live like that. I'm going to work on my own character every day so that my mind and my flesh line up with the Word of God. And in so doing, you're much more apt to receive from God. Amen. Now, did you find 1 Corinthians chapter 6? We'll start there. And we may go over to Romans. I don't know. That, that might be a tough thing to do. But we might, we might. I don't know. Now, okay, Lord, I'll do that too. Let me say this. Oh, my Lord. This, you know, you got, as a pastor, you got to pick through these things and make sure everybody understands it. The term God is love is not the justification for every kind of sin on the planet. Now, now you say, now, what do you mean? Now, you've heard it as many times. Well, you know, uh, uh, I can live like I want to because God is love. No. You don't, you don't even understand the concept of the Word of God and the concept of salvation. You say, I can just do what I want to. God would never harm anybody. God, no, no, you harm yourself. 
And the phrase God is love. Let me say this about God. You cannot take His greatest strength and make a weakness out of it. Now let me say that again. You cannot take His greatest strength and turn it against Him as a weakness. As an excuse for sin or unrighteous. Doesn't work. Everybody say, doesn't work. It doesn't work. Now notice, here in verse 9, well, this first phrase is pretty tough. It says, know ye not... The unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Now notice that again. Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Well, first of all, you've got to understand something about yourself. According to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, you are, the, excuse me, verse 21, you are the righteousness of God in Christ. In that chapter, the bottom part of that chapter, God calls you three things. He calls you a new creature. Actually, four things, excuse me. He calls you a new creature. He calls you a minister of reconciliation. He calls you an ambassador. And he calls you the righteousness of God in Christ. Now, notice that. This is what you are from the inside out. You are a new creature. Everybody say, new creature. Say, I'm a new creature. You are a minister of reconciliation. Everybody say, a minister. You are an ambassador of Christ. Everybody say, an ambassador. You are the righteousness of God in Christ. Everybody say, I'm the righteousness of God in Christ. But now notice this. Notice what it says. It says the unrighteous shall not what inherit the kingdom of God. Be not deceived. Now notice this. Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor the effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards and revelers, nor extortioners, shall inherit the kingdom of God. Now, first of all, let's understand where the Apostle Paul is writing this letter to. Are you with me? He is writing this letter. Now, we know he's writing it to us. But in the moment that he was living in, in the hour in he was living in, in the day in which he was living in, in the month and year that he was living in, he wrote this to the church at Corinth. Everybody say Corinth. Now, if you'll go do a little study you'll find out Corinth was about as wicked of a city as there ever was on the earth. It, was, it had temples of the most ungodly, unrighteous, immoral, sinful manifestation of mankind that anybody could ever think of. I mean, it was just, it was a cesspool of sin. But God raised up a church there. I said God raised up a church there. The Apostle Paul went in and pioneered that church. Others went in and ministered there. And God was bringing those people out of that sin, out of that unrighteousness. But the problem was, actually, if you just want to kind of categorize what First and Second Corinthians is, it's the first book of corrections and the second book of corrections. The Apostle Paul is correcting the church through these letters. So he is having to address past behavior. Are you with me? If I say past behavior. Man, I'm telling you today, you get up in the pulpit and you say the word sin, everybody boos. Amen. Like we've got a right to do it now because we've passed into some, you know, dispensation in which it doesn't make any difference. It makes a difference. It will hinder you from receiving from God. It will hinder your faith. It will open up your life to be literally, how do you say that? It will open your life up for demonic powers to come in and influence you. You're not going to be possessed by a devil, but devils can get into your mind and get into your flesh and destroy you. And if you don't know that, then you're subject to it. Some of you tonight are going to get some information and go help set you free. Jesus said, if you continue in my word, then are you my disciples indeed. You shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. It's the truth that you know, the truth that you adhere to. Listen, when I came back to the Lord, I was a mess. My mind was a mess. My flesh was a mess. My lifestyle for many years, I was a weedhead. I smoked pot every day. That's how I quit smoking cigarettes. I took my Winston pack, emptied out the tobacco, and filled it up with marijuana cigarettes. Good way to quit, I guess. I mean, I didn't think I could function without it. Everywhere I went. I mean, working hard jobs, working technical. And everybody I knew was stoned out of their minds. I went out and worked offshore. I'll tell you a little story. This kind of helped you figure out what I came, where I came out of. I went, out, I went offshore. I was 19 years old. I think my dad, he got me a job offshore. I worked for Mission Drilling. 
I went out, flew out there on a helicopter, 119 miles off of, uh, off of Galveston on the, on the mission uh, uh, exploration. It was an old uh, ship. Uh, it was a troop carrier ship that they took and made into a drill ship. And what we would do is we would go into a lease area and we would drill wells and then they'd bring a production platform in. It was just a, a ship with a derrick in the middle of it. So I got out there and everyone on that crew were rednecks. Everybody say rednecks. You know what rednecks are? This is Texas. You all don't know what a redneck is. I had a friend that mentioned it over in Germany somewhere, and everybody looked like I'm like, what's a redneck? They were all from Columbia, Mississippi. I'm telling you, and I was, I was, when I saw them, I had a ponytail, and I had about three rubber bands on my ponytail. It was about that long. And I landed on that ship, and I looked around, and I thought, oh, my God. Well, I, had, I smoked weed every day. And I thought, how am I going to, because you, you work seven days on, seven days off. How am I even going to function for seven days without some pot? So I got me a little bag of, bag of, a bag of buds and, and cleaned them all up and, and went and got me a corncob pipe and snuck it out there in my bag. And at, at night, after we'd, we'd work 12 on and 12 off, I'd go way down in the bottom of the ship and I'd hide down there. And I'd puff a little while and I'd go back and go to sleep and then I'd get up next morning and go to work. And I did that for about three days. And I thought, that's what I thought. If these guys ever catch me, they'll just kill me and throw me over the side. <laughs> and I'm telling you, they were rednecks. They were listening to, we don't smoke marijuana in Muskogee. I mean, they were doing that. <laughs> and so the, about the fourth day, I got, a, a guy came to me. He said, the, 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 the uh, tool pusher wants to talk to you. Tool pusher was a little man who was about this wide in the shoulders and about that wide at the waist. His name was Jack Bracey. I'll never forget this as long as I live. And he said, he wants to see you in his office now. I thought, I'm busted. I thought, I'm busted. So I went into his office, and there he sat with the driller. Now, the driller is the guy that, that runs the derrick and actually does the actual drilling of the well. You know, tells them when to bring the pipe in, all that kind of stuff. So here's this driller, this big old rough-looking guy with these big old gnarly hands. And then there's Jack Bracey, the, the, the tool pusher, the two most important men in the drill team and the drill crew sitting there looking at me. And I think, this is it. They're going to they're probably kill me, throw me over the side, tell them, you know, I fell over. We don't know what happened to him. <laughs> and so I walked in, and I'll never forget, he, the, 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 the driller's standing up. Jack is sitting at his desk with his feet up. I walk in and he said, so you're a hippie, huh? And I said, well, no, I'm not a hippie. He said, you're a dope smoker, aren't you? Well, I've learned for years, you know, if you're busted, you're busted. You might as well go ahead and admit it. I said, yes, I am. I just kind of hung my head and said, yes, I am. He said, good. He opened his drawer. He pulled out a bag of weed this big. He said, we have a hard time rolling joints around here. Roll as many as you can. That was, that was in 1976. Everybody was stoned. So I came out of that type of lifestyle where everybody, I knew, I didn't know anybody that wasn't getting out except my parents. <laughs> and dealing with us, they probably wish they could have. Amen. <laughs> but when I knelt on my knees 33 years ago and prayed what I like to call my come back to God prayer, when I got off of my knees, I'm telling you, I didn't feel nothing. I didn't hear no ringing bells. I didn't see no angelic choir. All I knew is I knew that I knew that I knew that I knew that I didn't need that stuff anymore. I didn't need it anymore. I hadn't had it since then. That was a ra super radical adjustment in my lifestyle. But then I noticed in my mind, all kinds of wickedness continued to bombard my mind. And when I began to learn that that was no longer me, that was something outside of me trying to put that into my mind, I got busy. Everybody say busy. 
you're going to have to get busy. Once you feel like that those immoral thoughts, those unclean thoughts, those lascivious thoughts, those thoughts of robbery, those thoughts of homosexuality, those thoughts of sexual immorality, all of that kind of stuff, that is your adversary trying to impart something into your mind to wake up the unrighteousness in your flesh and your mind. You will get busy and do something about it. Until you do that, you're going to be subject to it and the devil will wear you out. You'll eventually give in to it. Now notice it again. Notice what it says. It says, first of all, be not deceived, neither fornicators. Now let's just lay this out so you will know. I don't want to say, well, I didn't know. Because people, they, they tend to, you cannot, now listen to me. You cannot involve yourself in any type of sexual relationship outside of marriage. Amen. Well, Pastor, you know, I, I, you know, men have urges. Women, I, well, listen. The Bible says that every man and every woman must possess their own vessel. Are you with me? You've got to possess your own vessel. So you cannot involve yourself in sexual activity outside of marriage. Now listen to me real closely so you'll get this. Whether you're by yourself or with somebody. We're going to leave it at that. You say, what do you mean by that? Possess your own vessel. Possess your own vessel in righteousness. That is fornication. That's what the Bible says it is. Listen, the Bible says that sex is, is, is blessed, that the marriage bed is undefiled. The book of Hebrews. God, listen, whose idea was it in the first place? Hugh Hefner didn't invent it. Hustler magazine didn't invent it. God invented it. And God knows how to keep it pure. And God knows how to keep it safe. And the problem is, many times in churches, we got people, they just live together. And they, well, you know, we, we're, we don't need no sheet of paper. Well, yes, you do. Amen. Amen. You either get married or you get apart if you're going to live righteously. Because it, it will literally cause you not to inherit. Now, notice what it says here. To inherit what? The kingdom of God. What is the kingdom of God? It is the precepts and principles that cause the kingdom to operate or work. Which means sin in your life will keep you from tithing, will keep you from walking in faith, will keep you from receiving healing. It'll keep joy out of your life. It is, listen, it's the most miserable lifestyle in the world to live. It's to live in sin and try to be a part of something God's doing. You can't do it. You can't do it. Something's got to give. Everybody say something's got to give. So don't be a fornicator. Say, I'm not a fornicator. It says, or an idolater. Don't put anything in front of God. That's what an idolater, somebody who is in idolatry is. Now, we don't really think much of that because, you know, we're real geared to God and geared to the Holy Ghost, geared to Jesus. But listen, there are people who, who everything from money is their God, which money can't be your God. It's just a tool. Your family can't be your God. Your husband, your wife can't be your God. Come on, church. Your job, your career, your education, that can't be your job. I've seen so many people wrestle with career and calling. Say, so what do you mean career and calling? I got a career, got a calling, got a career. Something's got to give. Something's got to give. One of, one of the missionaries, which I call one of our premier missionaries that we support, and when I use the word premier, I mean people that have proved themselves, built great ministry in another nation, Jerry and Janilaki. And they, Jerry was one, I mean, he drove a Porsche. He was a businessman. I'm telling you, this guy was a multi-millionaire looking for a place to manifest. And he, went, he made the mistake of going to Bible school at Lakewood Church. And he met a little girl named Jana. And he asked Jana out on a date and said, I'd like to take you out on a date. She, she said, I wouldn't, she didn't even use the word date, she used the word marry. She said, I wouldn't marry anybody who wasn't called to Africa. He thought, well, you ain't going, I'm going to go out with her. <laughs> and then T.L. Osborne came and showed his great missionary film, all those great crusades in Africa called Black Gold. And he fell on his face. He went into the bathroom. He said, I went into the bathroom there at Lakewood Church and fell on my face and sobbed before God for an hour. And he said, I knew that I knew that I knew I was called to Africa. They've been in Botswana for 30-something years. Calling, career. 
calling, career. Your career can become an idol if it stands above God's calling. You've got to make a decision. To do, well, Lord, what do you want me to do? Find out what that is. But a lot of people have great careers that God has called them into that career, that that career is their calling. Make sure. Everybody say, make sure. Because I guarantee you God can greatly bless anybody, a teacher, a doctor, a lawyer, a banker, a mechanic, whatever it is, and you've got a career, but that career is also your calling. You can always tell because there will be a supernatural element to what you're doing. God, God will bless it. Everybody say, God will bless it. Oh, my goodness. I don't know if we can go through all these because I want to get down this bottom scripture. It's really good. Adulterers, don't, don't covet anybody else's wife. Don't look at Leah, she's mine. Nor effeminate, everybody say effeminate. If you're a man, be a man. If you're a woman, be a woman. This is talking about people crossing gender lines, which is so popular today. I just feel so feminine today. My feminine side. No! Go join the Marine Corps or something, Amen. That's a demon in your mind trying to convince you you're something you're not. And, it's, and it gets into people's mind. It torments them. It, it just, it just, they're so confused. They're so hurt. You know, we had a guy that came here for a while. And bless his heart, everybody in the church, I was so proud of the church. They loved on him. And he came, to him, came in full, dressed like a woman. And, he, you know, everybody could see he was a man. And, and, man, I preached him out of his dress. I preached him out of his blouse. I preached him out of his high heels, out of his earrings. He kept wearing his little bonnet, you know. And I thought, I'm going to get this guy. I'm going to get this guy. And on an Easter Sunday, he came walking in with a big feather in his hat and a pink dress on. I thought, oh, man. That's a demon that does that. Come on, church. Demons looking for what? Expression in human flesh. That's what they're doing. That's why thoughts of idolatry, thoughts of adultery, thoughts of fornication. You've got to resist those. Abusers of themselves with mankind. That's homosexuality and lesbianism. I was born that way. No, you're not. Get born again. Get born again. You say, well, can a homosexual go to heaven? No, he can't. He's got to get saved. Because if he gets born again, he's no longer a homosexual. He's the righteousness of God in Christ. And that's who goes to heaven is people that are the righteousness of God in Christ. He said, well, I know some that are good Christians. Listen, you need to go study Matthew chapter 7, where Jesus talks about people that use his name, prophesy in his name, do miracles in his name, do all that kind of stuff. But on judgment day, he looks at them and says, depart from me, you workers of iniquity. That means the iniquity that was on the inside continued to work in their flesh and in their minds. And Jesus said, I never knew you. Salvation is a lifelong process. Is it okay if I preach like this? I'm trying to help you receive from God. Nor thieves. Don't steal. Don't, don't steal from anybody. Anything. Don't steal your neighbor's garden hose. Don't rob banks. Don't steal from the IRS. Oh, this year was terrible. Lord. I mean, we had to pay this big old IRS bill. Because our salary changed a little bit because we uh, some things changed with our housing. And where we used to get all this money back, then all of a sudden we did all of it. And I was thinking, man, what are we going to do with all this money we get back and all this? Because, you know, get back. It's really, you, you don't get it back. It's just, but anyway, it's some extra money in your hand. And then we got our taxes back and I looked at it and I thought, I'm reading this wrong. I said, Leah, come here. It looks like we owe $10,000. Gave it to her. She looked at it and she said, Looks like we owe $10,000. She said, what did you do? I paid the $10,000. Why did you pay it? I had it to pay. The church didn't pay it. I paid it. Don't rob the IRS. They are slow, but they are sure. <laughs> Amen. Nor covetous. Don't be covetous. Drunkards. Don't use dope. Don't drink alcohol. You get under the influence of that stuff. Say, well, you know, I, I've been reading over there in Colorado. It's legal now. What about that, Pastor? It's legal? Well, there are other things that are legal too. 
You can go to Las Vegas, Nevada, or go to Nevada, prostitution's legal. Just because something legal does not make it right. It's legal for me to go across the street or down the street and buy a fifth of Jack Daniels and drink it down. And do it every day if I wanted to. It's legal. It's legal. It's not righteous. It says drunkards. Actually, you study this word. It means those that come under the influence of other substances. Mm-mm-mm. We could meddle there, but I'm not going to do it. Nor revilers. Now, that word revilers is a little blinded. But actually, this is talking about people that cannot talk without cursing. They revile everything. Every other word out of their mouth is a curse word. Now, let me say this. And you may get mad at me because of my Pentecostal roots, but that's just the way it is. I'm the pastor here. We need to learn how to speak without cursing God. You Listen, you say, well, I've cursed all my life. That's just the way it is. Learn, ask God to put a check in your mind so that you will not curse anymore. And we were taught as kids, and I still practice this today, we don't, we don't use words that are on the edge. We don't say golly or gee whiz. Because that's just basically abbreviated cursing. Or got dying. Amen. Or freaking. Well, come on, we might as well just go ahead and sweep the floor clean. Amen. You want to live righteous? You want to receive from God? That's what it's talking about. People whose communication is just like the world. Can't tell any difference between you and know, They ought to be able to, after you say five or six sentences, they, ought to, should, they should be able to tell. That's a, some, some of our people went over to a friend of mine's house in Winnie, who I've known for 30 years, and he is a character. And, you know, he'll get around me and he'll a cuss word or slip. He'll say, I'm sorry, Rusty, I'm sorry. And he's always doing that kind of stuff. So I, I was helping him on a hunt one time. I was helping him. We were, we were putting guys out in the field to hunt doves out in the, in the fall of the year. And he, this guy got on the four-wheeler. We were taking him back. And he was just cussing and cussing and cussing and cussing. And I was just sitting in the back. I wouldn't say nothing. He was cussing. Brian was driving. He was cussing, cussing. Brian was driving. So we pulled up in front of the, uh, uh, front of the hunt lots. He says, let me introduce you to my pastor. And that guy made the, I don't know how to, uh, he said, he bowed his head. He said, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I didn't know you were a preacher. <laughs> Brian, he's a knucklehead. Listen, our conversation should be pure. I mean, I've watched, I've watched movies before that the only thing wrong with the movie was at one point in the movie they took God's name in vain. And I thought, why did they mess up a good story and a good movie by, by taking one line of their script and sticking a bunch of cursing in there? Somebody's got to stand for righteousness. I, I want you to receive from God. Amen. Nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. Now notice, let me, let me close with this. This will help you. Let's get to the blessing side. And such were, and such were, and such were some of you. But ye are, now listen, ye are washed, but ye are sanctified, but ye are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. Now, let's take those real quick and we'll, and we'll close. Number one, you are washed. Woo, somebody ought to get excited in here. Think of all that filth that was in your life, all that sin that was in your life, all of that junk that was in your life, and the day you said yes to Jesus, His blood washed you clean from all of that. Oh, I tell you, if you just get a revelation from it, you wouldn't go back to that pig pen. You have been washed by the most precious, expensive, valuable commodity in the universe, the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. It washed away the covetedness. It washed away the idolatry. It washed away the homosexuality. It washed away the drug addiction. It washed away the lying. It washed it. It washed it. It washed it away. I'm telling you, if you can't get excited about that. You see, don't you feel guilty about the way you... No! When you're washed, you're not guilty. Amen. Amen. You're washed. Everybody say washed. washed. 
Say, I'm washed. Say, I'm washed. You are sanctified. Everybody say sanctified. That means you have been taken and set apart. Chosen. Everybody say chosen. You know, I don't know about you, but, but I, I was pretty good at most sports I played, so I usually got chosen, you know, I never, never really got chosen first, but sometimes I got chosen second or third. And I always really felt so sorry for the guy, you know, that, you know, well, you take him. No, I'll take him. No, you take him. Yeah, yeah. You know, they never had that, that real satisfaction of being chosen. And even if you're the last one chosen, at least you got chosen. But God has chosen you. That means he looked at you and chose you and set you apart from the homosexual, set you apart from the thieves, set you apart from the extortioners, set you apart from the liars, set you apart from the drunkards, set you apart from the... He set you apart from it. Amen? And then he justified you. Man, I'm telling you, you, if you can't shout over the first two, you can really shout over this. And you say, what do you mean? He declared you not guilty. Don't you feel guilty? No. Why? I've been justified. I've been declared in the court of the universe by the one who offered his life for me, justified in front of my heavenly Father and almighty God, just as if I had never sinned or committed one trespass against God. He has washed me. He has sanctified me. He has justified me. No wonder those Corinthians were getting saved, set free and delivered, filled with the Holy Ghost. Coming out of that lifestyle of debauchery, lifestyle of sin, that ancient, those ancient, you know, the Bible talked about in Noah's day that the whole world, that there wasn't any righteousness in anybody. They were all given to sin and unrighteousness. Now, let me close. That's my last closing. I, I, when, I, when I prepare stuff to preach, usually I, I think about what I preached the last week. I pray. I say, okay, Lord, you know, what direction do we need to go this week? What scriptures can I put together? I begin to meditate. I begin to, usually a Sunday afternoon after I preached on Sunday. Sundays we're studying, still studying the authority of, of the believer. And, and during the week, I heard a pastor read a letter of a young man that came to his church. And was there, this is, oh, probably 20 years ago, 20, 25 years ago. And was there from, got saved and filled with the Holy Ghost and water baptized in March. And in December of that same year, he committed murder and ended up in the penitentiary for the rest of his life. No chance of parole. So he wrote a letter to his pastor. And he said, Pastor, would you read this to the congregation as a warning to them of what happened to me. He said, when I first got saved and first got filled with the Holy Ghost, he said, I was so turned on for the Lord. He said, I loved God. He said, but I worked in a particular, it was a particular city there. He said, I worked in a pornographic shop. He said, I needed money to pay bills and I needed money to, 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 to live. So I began right there in a life of compromise. He says, now, I had been employed at that particular shop for several years, and it really didn't affect me. He said it didn't affect me at all. But the minute I got born again, it began to affect me. He said, these thoughts began to come to my mind. He said, I'd come to church. He said, I'd be sit there, and thoughts of homosexuality, of adultery, of fornication would bombard my mind. He said, that never happened to me till I got saved. He said, and he's talking to the pastor, he said, I slight you in no way. You were teaching the word. You were telling us what to do. He said, but instead of yielding more and more to the word of God, I yielded more and more to those thoughts. Till within just a few months, I ended up in a homosexual affair with my boss. And the end result was he ended up murdering him. And it was something that he planned out to do, which is pre premeditated. So because of the premeditated aspect of it, he got life with no parole. He was 23 years old. And this pastor read this in front of this church, and the church just wept. And the pastor, the pastor was just, as he was reading it, he was saying, 
what could I have preached? What could I have said? What could I have done? And he told the congregation, he said, I've had this letter for several months, but I had to get my mind right and my heart right before I read it to you because I began to condemn myself. What, what, what could I have done? What could, what did, how did the church fail? And he said, the Lord took and comforted him with the word and said, every person has a choice that not even the strongest demon in the world can violate. So no matter what comes to your mind to try to tempt you to sin, you still have a choice. And I, and I exhort you, I teach you, I beg you to choose a righteous response against that which would try to tempt you. The Bible says there in the same book, of 1 Corinthians, there's no temptation taken us that such is common to man. But with every temptation, God has made a way of escape. Your formal lifestyle could have been, you could have been involved in all of it 10 times over. But you're not that person anymore. And listen, if you'll just lean on the strong arms of the Word of God and learn to resist that, because it all starts with a thought in your mind. Just a thought in your mind. And I've seen people over the years go so crazy and try to justify some of the stupidest things. Everything from, well, that may be my physical wife, but she's not my spiritual wife. Come on. To stealing money, to doing all kinds of stuff. But if you'll set a guard by the Word of God upon your mind, God will make sure your heart is guarded. What's it saying? In Proverbs chapter 4, guard your heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. And the way that the enemy looks for entrance into your heart is through your mind. And he'll run a thought through your mind. And if you, I mean, that's why any, any negative thought, I mean, I openly resist it with my words. No, devil, I do not think like that. I will not accept. That type of resistance will keep him from putting that thought again. But if that thought goes through your mind and you do nothing about it, It'll come through your mind again. And if you do nothing about it, it'll come through your mind again. And each time it will get stronger until you make a decision to entertain that thought. And once you begin to entertain that thought, you're fixing to get on the slippery slope to temptation that will end up. Now, let me just say this. And this is my last class. I know it's the third one, my last one. But this, is anybody getting anything out of this? Is this helping you? Every one of us slip. You understand what I'm saying? Ain't nobody perfect in here. We don't judge people. Everyone slips at one time or another. Everyone. But if you habitually practice these things by yielding to those temptations, it will set a stronghold in you that will lead you into a place of total destruction. One of the great sad things of my life, which I had a pastor friend that really liked, thought he was a great guy, preached several great revivals at his church. And the last time I was there, I noticed something wasn't right. I had a great church. Holy Ghost moved. I think he even went out with me one time in, out in California. Remember that? Beautiful. Out, one of the most beautiful places of our country. What a place to raise up a great church. And and. Something wasn't right. I just couldn't put my finger on it. And this particular revival meeting went from Sunday through Friday. Man, I'm telling people, I think one night we had 30 people saved. God was moving. There were miracles, healings. It was just, but something wasn't right. And this pastor had gotten into bodybuilding. Romans 1, I was going to go there and look at that, but we may do that next week, where it talks about people who begin to worship the creation instead of the creator. And in his bodybuilding, what do you call it, a gym or something that he went to, some guys were using uh, steroids. He got into some steroid use, which led to some illegal drug use, which led a pastor of a Holy Ghost church, bigger than this one, into homosexuality. And he lost his family. He lost his ministry. He lost his dignity. He lost everything that was right about him and it totally destroyed that entire move of God. That's why you have to be so careful and you have to judge every thought that comes through your mind 
and you've got to make a decision. I am not going to be caught by the devil, his tactics or traps. I see what is righteous. I see what is unrighteous. And if you'll do that, nothing will hinder your prosperity. Nothing will hinder your healing. Nothing will hinder your prayers. You'll be full of joy. That doesn't mean there won't be times in which you will struggle with things. But listen, you will have a lifestyle of righteousness that you're unashamed of. Unashamed of. I mean, Lee and I, our life is an open book, transparent as it could be. We have nothing we're ashamed of, nothing that we're do that, that we're ashamed of. And you have to live like that. Because that is the righteous lifestyle of the family of God. Amen. Lift your hands and worship God. Father, we worship you tonight. Now, Lord, I pray over this congregation. You've given me authority in this house. You've put upon my heart to teach and preach these things. And I stand as the pastor of Island Church. And the authority that you've given us in the name of Jesus. And I bind every demon spirit that would try to torment the minds of God's people and bring temptation. And I thank you, Heavenly Father, that the words of God will put a resolve in every heart to live for God and live in righteousness, to stand in faith, and to be what God's called them to be. And I thank you tonight, Lord, each and every person will receive the truth into their own heart. And if anybody is struggling in these areas, that the truth will set them free that all the excuses, all the rationalization of our mind and our flesh will be set aside as we yield to the Spirit and the Word of God to bring total and complete deliverance in our lives. For whom the Son set free is free indeed. Everybody say that with me. Who the Son set free is free indeed. Say it one more time. Whom the Son set free is free indeed. Hallelujah. Stand on your feet tonight. Father, we bless your name. Thank you for your Word tonight. Lord, let each and every one of us take it to heart. Let us not take these things lightly, but let us treasure them in our hearts as that which stands, that which creates a standard of righteousness in us. Lord, as we always do, as is our custom, we pray over the next few days of this week till we meet again Saturday night for prayer, Sunday for service. And we thank you, Lord. No evil befalls us. No plague comes nigh our dwelling place. Angels have charge over us. Lord, we reach out and cover these teams that have come in to help us. We thank you in these tear-outs and this work these people are doing. Father, I thank you. There's no accidents of any kind. We bind the adversary, our travel upon the highways, airways, seaways, railways, any other way of travel or transportation. Thank you, Father. We're protected and safe. The righteous labor of our hands, a school, education, a, a, a medical branch, the chemical plants, oil refineries. Wherever we go, whatever we do, we declare we abide under the shadow of the Almighty. We thank you for it, Lord. As we leave tonight, we thank you for that great door of utterance, that a fire of evangelism burn in us. Prepare us to be used mightily by you this week. Fathers, we leave tonight. We walk in faith and love towards you. We walk in love toward one another. Thank you for our church. We leave as the ambassadors of Christ. You've called us to be. Thanking you, Lord, here at Island Church. We're covered by the blood, empowered by the word, and anointed by the Holy Thank you for joining us. We trust you enjoyed the message today. For services and special events, visit our webpage at www.islandchurchgalveston.com. You can contact us by phone at 409-770-9113. We are located at 2411 69th Street, Galveston, Texas. And remember to keep looking unto Jesus. He is the author and the finisher of our faith.